You know how you, you probably all have moments in worship or songs in worship that just sort of slay you, right? Joe, I can't handle that one, right? You can't do that to me right before we preach. You know that passage, Revelation 5, right? I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And the next verse just captures like the desperate, like our desperate need before God, right? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and his seven seals. Um, the book of life unfolded because Christ lived and died and rose again and now dwells with us. And so our hope has been that we'll see him. John twelve twenty one, the plaque on my pulpit. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. First night we said, yeah, we do. And we're not just, we, we want to not just see him, we want to be filled with all his fullness. Ephesians 3. We want to be filled with all the fullness of God. Not just um, sort of see Jesus as somehow over there and separate to us, but abide in, in him. Not just have his love, but be held by him in his love. Last night we moved on to think about the first of the questions we wanted to look at this week, which was, has no one condemned you? And in, in the gospel we said, yeah, no one has condemned you. Forgiveness is full, it is free, and it is so radical that we now live new lives where we go and, and sin no more. Forgiveness leads us into freedom, a, a new life of joyful obedience in Christ. Tonight we come to another question, and I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, where Jesus, um, remember, remember, remember I said last night, like half of what Jesus says is amazing and half of it's confusing, right? <laughs> this is one of those moments where Jesus comes and he says to a paralyzed man, do you want to be healed? Right? Strange question to ask someone in this, in this condition. Of course, Jesus, of course he wants to be healed, but it turns out Jesus knows we don't always know what we want. So... Our hope and prayer is to see Jesus in this text, meet with him in this text. And let me just pray one more time to that end. Father, our situation, um, apart from Christ, is desperate. Because none of us is worthy to, to open that scroll. And yet, Christ has come. He has lived, he has died, he has risen, and he has ascended. And we are now his. So I pray, Lord, that in these moments, the, the beauty and the power of the gospel, the beauty and the power of your Son, Christ, would become real to us and fresh with us, and that we would abide in him as he abides in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here's the plan. You ready? We're going to enjoy our way through this passage, make some applications at the end. Let's start together, though. Verse 2 of John chapter 5. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Okay, so we're in Bethesda, not Bethesda, Maryland. We're in Bethesda in Jerusalem. And this time, more specifically, we're beside what we read as the, the Sheep 
gate. Now the sheep gate is a small opening in the, the, the wall of the um, sorry, the, the north wall of the temple. Okay, a small opening in the wall of the temple. So it's like you're kind of standing in the parking lot of the church building. That's kind of where you are. You know, you're you're near the place of worship, but you're not actually quite yet in the place of worship. And right beside this back door, there's a pool. And the purpose of this pool was that sheep would be brought to the pool and would be washed in the pool before being taken through the sheep gate into the temple to be sacrificed. Right? So that's kind of the, the scene here. Imagine a big swimming pool full of of sheep, right? Now this pool has actually become um, intriguingly significant and surprisingly important to the history of our faith. Right? Let me, tell you, let me tell you why. Back in the 18th and 19th century, a movement began among academic scholars that really sought to prove that the Bible shouldn't be trusted as a historical source. Paul referenced this movement earlier when he spoke about how first we got rid of the divinity of Jesus and then we sought to get rid of the humanity of Jesus. Well, this was part of that quest to get rid of the, the humanity of Jesus. Uh, not only was he not God, but really even just all these stories can't really be trusted to tell us about that he was even a, you know, a, a man. The Bible instead should be just viewed as a collection of, of myths and a collection of legends. And this passage, John chapter 5, was held up by them as exhibit A of, for why you couldn't trust the Bible. For why it was a, an unhistorical collection of myths and legends. Why? Because at that time there was no historical record of there ever being a pool at this place called Bethesda. And not only was there no record of, of a pool at Bethesda, but secondly, our passage describes, you caught it, five colonnades. You saw that in verse 2, five roofed colonnades. So colonnades were like covered walkways that surrounded the edges of, of the pool. You can imagine it in your mind. Pillars that supported uh, a, a roof that gave you shade from the sun. And historians were quick to point out in this time that not only do we have no record of a pool at Bethesda, but we have no record of a five-sided pool pool anywhere in ancient antiquity. There just wasn't such a thing as a pool in the shape of, of a pentagon, they imagined, that would require it to have five roofed colonnades. So they concluded that whoever wrote this passage um, certainly didn't know what, what Jerusalem was like in those days. Whoever wrote this passage wasn't recording history. There was no pool. There was no five colonnades. This isn't an eyewitness account. It's just the made-up imaginings of later storytellers. Well, guess what happened next? 1888. What a great year in the history of our faith. Here's why. Archaeologists in Jerusalem discovered the remains of an ancient building built to commemorate what? The pool at Bethesda. Now, further excavations revealed the pool itself, and the layout of this pool is, is fascinating. Because imagine one large swimming pool, separated into two different parts, though, by a ridge of rocks going right through the middle of it. Okay? Picturing that in your mind? Big rectangle, ridge of rocks going right through the middle of it. Guess what their excavations found? A colonnade along each side of the rectangle, and a fifth one going right over that ridge of rocks in, in the middle. In other words, they found like historical evidence, archaeological evidence of the fact that in Jesus' day, there was a pool at Bethesda, and it did have five colonnades. Why does this matter? Okay, It's like 
five minutes in, we're not out of verse 2. Why am I going on about like ancient Near Eastern um, archaeology? Well, here's, here's why. Because for us as Christians, the, heris- the historicity of our faith is everything. The historicity of our faith is everything. See, Christianity is profoundly different to all the other religions of the world because at bottom, all the other religions lay out a series of steps, a set of practices that you must follow in order to be saved. So Confucius and Buddha and Muhammad, they all lay out a blueprint, follow that blueprint and you'll be saved. So what matters isn't really the historical details of the leaders' lives. What matters is the blueprint they left to follow and and your ability to follow it. But that's not how Christianity works. That's not how the gospel works. The gospel is not first and foremost a blueprint to follow. It is first and foremost good news. Jesus didn't come to give us a blueprint. This is how to live a, a good life. He came with good news. Good news for the sick for the paralyzed, for the blind. Good news for the ungodly. Good news for... You see when we looked around and no one could open the scroll? <laughs> Good news for a bunch of bedraggled drunks like us who tore up the blueprint and, like I don't know, like rolled cigarettes with it. Good news for people who haven't lived up to... God's design, and the good news is is what? That we're saved by grace. That we're not saved by our works, we're saved by His works. We're not saved by the details of our lives, we're saved by the details of His. And so the fact that... (laughs) This dovetails so beautifully. The fact that He was a real person, (laughs) the fact that He really existed, the fact that Jesus entered into time and space, that really matters to us. And the fact that we can trust the, the, the Bible and, and, and the historicity of it really matters to us. And so we spend five minutes talking about archaeology in those days because it matters that there was, you know, there was a pool at Bethesda and there were five colonnades and Jesus really did live and he really did die and he really did rise. So there really is grace that we might be saved not because of our lives but because of his. Okay, let's get out of verse 2. Verse 3. In these colonnades lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So imagine with me, we arrive at this swimming pool and uh, we hear the bleating of sheep that are about to go into the temple and then we see this sort of disheveled mass of, of humanity. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Why are they there? They're there because this rumor has spread that the water in this pool has kind of magical healing properties. If you look down at your Bible, do you, do you notice that verse 4 is missing from your, from your text? Verse 4 is missing from your text. It, it wasn't part of the original Bible. It was probably added a couple hundred years later to help explain why they believed the water had healing properties. So in most Bibles, if you look where verse 4 is, you'll see a footnote. And if you go down to this, look at what the footnote says, you'll see the verse that, that, that was added later. And it says, For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease 
he's he had this later explanation to help us understand why all those people were there. Since it's a later edition, it's been scrupulously removed from our text to pervert, preserve the, the historicity of, of John's accounts. So, unusually, we move from verse 3 into verse 5. What do we read there? One man was there who'd been an invalid for 38 years. The disheveled mass of humanity is made up of individual souls. It's made up of of individual people with individual problems. And here's a man who's in desperate need. We read that he's an invalid. From what happens next, it's clear that he's paralyzed. We read that he's been that way for 38 years. That's longer, like... Most of us have been alive, right? And no welfare, no support, left to beg, left to die. But look at Jesus, verse 6. Jesus saw him lying there and knew they'd already been there a long time. Now the fact that Jesus is there at all is perhaps surprising. Uh, respectable people, people who wanted to be ceremonially clean, would never have been at that pool, would never have been around these animals. But not only is Jesus there, but he sees a man who's been ignored for 38 years. He sees him, sets his eyes upon him. This is what Jesus is like. We've been reflecting on this already today. He's the saviour who takes initiative to move toward people and to pay attention to, to, to people, even when they've no one's ever paid attention to them before. It's what, it's what Jesus has done for us, right? He's, he's taken the initiative to move towards us, to set his favour upon us, set his grace upon us, draw us to himself. Not just seeing a dishevelled mass of brokenness, but moving into the particulars of our lives with his grace. Surely that, that's instructive, isn't it, about the kind of ministries we want to have? About the kind of workers that, that we want to be? A people who, who, like our Saviour has done for us, take the initiative to move toward people, not seeing our ministries just as like the youth group, the church, the generic members, but individual souls that we're seeking to love and love well. Well, having taken the initiative, look at verse 6 still, Jesus asks our question. Jesus said to him, Do you want to be healed? Why, why does he ask that question? What, what's, what's going on in the mind and the imagination of Jesus when, when he comes to a paralyzed man and says, do you want to be made well? Or do you want to be healed? We think, yes, Jesus, of course he wants to be healed. Why would he not want to be healed? Why would you ask this question? Well, I think the challenge is Jesus knows that Um, many of us, all of us, at times, um, we get comfortable with our maladies. Let me say that again. We get comfortable with our maladies. What do we mean? Well, sometimes we get comfortable because of sin. So, like, you know, we want to be generous in a sense, but actually our desire to be comfortable makes me quite happy not to be generous. Like, do you want to be healed? Eh. You know, maybe. Uh, we want to share the gospel with, 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 with friends and neighbours, but our desire to be liked and fit in means I'm actually quite happy not 
to put myself out and share the gospel? Like, do I do I really want to be healed? Um, I want to be a peacemaker with my wife, but I actually really like being right. Do I do I want to be healed? Well, hmm. Sometimes because of our sin, we get comfortable with, with our maladies. Sometimes it's not because of our sin. Sometimes it's because of, because of hopelessness. You know, you've battled pornography for so long that you're just not sure it can be any different. And rather than ride that wave of, like, um, effort, strain, success, failure, regret, shame, effort, failure, success, failure, regret, shame, you just decided to, to let... Just this, this one isn't going to change. So you're just going to tolerate it in the kind of background of your life. Manage it, control it. Um, do you really want to be healed? <coughs> Sometimes our vices become a way we, we cope. We think it's unlikely they're ever going to change. I just wonder, do you see this in your own life? Do you see areas where you've become comfortable with your maladies? Areas that you've become cynical, areas you've become tired, areas you've become hopeless? Areas where maybe you don't want to be healed. Because into these places, into these broken places, Jesus comes and asks this question that's full of promise and is full of power. He says, do you want to be healed? Because um, this question is an invitation. (laughs) In in me, you you can be healed. In me, you can be healed. Um, Things can change. Now, we find this hard to believe about the brokenness in our lives, and we're in good company, because look what the man says in verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Isn't this fascinating? Jesus asks a question, and the invalid doesn't answer this question. He just responds with a list of reasons why healing's impossible. That's, that's what he's in here. Uh, he doesn't, doesn't answer the question. It's, it's the same, same as we saw last night, right? He doesn't answer. He just gives reasons. So reason number one, I can't be healed because I've got no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. Jesus, not only am I hopeless, I'm helpless. There's nothing I can do about it. Second reason, and while I am going, another steps down before me. So even when I try, and believe me, I've tried, it never works out as planned. We get comfortable with our maladies, and sometimes it's easier to, to kind of walk in doubt than it is to believe. Than it is to believe. How does Jesus respond to unbelief? Verse 8. He gives grace. Look at it. This is so great. Catch the flow of the text, right? Question. Do you want to be healed? Answer. I can't be healed. Jesus, verse 8. Get up. Take up your bed and walk. Right? Now this is one of those moments where it's great. We're not in slow motion. It's very fast paced. Look at verse 9. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. <laughs> and they're great. Like it's uh, designed to emphasize the absolute control Christ has over all brokenness. Do you want to be healed? I can never be healed. Oh, <laughs> really? Well, you know, check this out. Get up, take up your bed, and walk straight away. He gets up, takes up his bed, and walks. Right? Jesus is in absolute control. He has absolute authority to the hopeless, to the helpless. Jesus brings healing. And don't you just love, oh man, don't you just love how he does it? Like the man, the man thinks he needs help to get to healing. And Jesus is like, I am the healer. I'm the healer. I, 
Jesus, like, I don't know what all this talk of water's about. Like, what, what, what's all this talk about water and angels and stirrings and pools? Like, what is this about? Because I'm the one who made the water, and I'm the one who commands the boundaries of the water, and I'm the one who causes the seas to swell, and I'm the one who can silence them with a word. And do you know what? Like, I can walk on it if I want to. Like, don't talk to me about what, like, talk to me about what I, I am the water. I'm the living water. You come, you come to me and drink, and you will be healed. If you want to be healed, we go to the water. <laughs> we go to the water who is Christ. And I just wonder if we believe that whatever we're struggling with, whatever we're battling against, whatever we're wrestling and is causing us pain, whatever the temptation, the sorrow, the pain, if you go to the water, the presence of Christ is sufficient to bring healing. An error in our theology that I think we neglect a little bit um, is this idea that the change is possible and change is possible now. Right? Um, you know, good reform folks were really cynical about like talk of victory. That just sounds like way too charismatic and deeply suspicious to us, you know. Um, we're we're too caught, and, and what we end up doing is um, nuancing and sort of caveating to death the beautiful reality that Jesus changes your life. The, the presence of Jesus, walking with Jesus, our Savior, changes our lives. If we want Christ's help, if we want his healing, we don't concentrate on all the reasons that we can't be healed. Don't give me a list of all the reasons it's impossible. I can't get to the pool when I do someone beats me there. I, I get it. Instead, we focus on the water. There's always hope in Christ. How much hope is there in Christ? I love the echoes we get in this text. The phrase that Jesus uses in verse 8 when he says, Get up. Interestingly, do you know, it's the, same, it's the same word that's used in Luke 7 when Jesus comes to the dead son and says, Arise. So, isn't this beautiful? You know how we said Jesus is in total control? Uh, he has total control to say to a paralyzed man, Hey, get up. And he has total control to say to a dead man, Get up. And as the paralyzed man at once got up, took his back, walked, so the son at once rose. And, and aren't there echoes, right? Oh, let, let me turn there. Let me turn there in case you think I'm making this up, right? First Corinthians 6. It's just one of the examples we could pull, right? Jesus says, get up to the paralyzed man. Same term is used to get it, say, get up to the dead son. And then First Corinthians six, fourteen, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Same word. <laughs> Same word. This idea that Jesus brings back to life broken dead things. It's, it's true for the paralytic and it's true for the dead son and it's true for our dead souls. Why? Well, First Corinthians says because God has raised the Lord. The risen Lord is able to make things rise. Christ is alive and he makes things come back to life. And so we are a people who have resurrection hope. We are a people who believe that one day full healing will arrive. That the blind will see, the lame will walk, the dead will rise. That every tear will be wiped from every single eye. We have that resurrection hope. And you know what matters? As assistant pastor of my church, um, today his brother went into surgery 
and to cut a long story short, they ended up having to amputate his leg. Right? His brother's response was, um, ah, I hoped healing would be now. I guess it's going to be later. <laughs> right? Uh, that, like resurrection hope, that matters. The fact that one day all will be well, like that, that really deeply matters. My challenge though to us today is to, to start to pray for the faith to meet with Jesus and believe that this resurrection hope we have for the future is also resurrection power for us today. That united to Christ, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And this isn't crazy victory charismatic talk, this is Paul, right? Who might have been more charismatic than we are. Yeah. We pray for the faith to believe that he can bring healing to our lives today. Let me share a story from my, from my life. Um... I mentioned a couple of times that struggling with uh, anxiety and depression has been a thing that I've kind of had on and off uh, throughout, throughout my adult life. And I've really had two major troughs, two kind of breakdowns. One was back in 2012 and one was just a couple of years ago, uh, 2000, 2018. And what brought about this second sort of breakdown in my life was actually with the timed with the whole Me Too movement was beginning for the first time to work through the story of being sexually abused as a teenager. So, high school teacher, 14, 15 years old, man in a position of trust, man in a position of authority over me, someone I thought I could trust ended up being sexually abused. Now here's what I did with that experience. Um, I stuffed it. Why? Because like, this is too overwhelming to be able to deal with, so we can't deal with it, we're just going to stuff it. We're going to act like this has never, never happened. And, and here's what I did. Uh, we took it and we found, we found the longest corridor in my brain, okay? And we walked to the very end of that corridor and we opened up a door and we threw this experience in and then we closed the door and we locked it and then we like hammered up boards of wood to make sure that this experience was never going to see the light of day again. Well, this was working for 20 years. And then, Jesus. Jesus comes into my heart and says, Ooh, I've begun a good work in you and I'm going to carry it on to completion. I'm not actually okay. And I'm going to rest till I've brought healing to every single part of you. And so he took me by the hand and we walked back down this corridor. Right? And then with carpenter's hands, he like removed all the wood <laughs> and we opened the door and see see what we did? So we opened that door to that experience. Blood on the floor. Absolute implosion. Right? Oh, sorry, taking the lid off this Pandora's box, just mayhem entered into into my life. Um to cut a two-year-long story short that involved um, great friends, a great counsellor, some medication, and a great psychiatrist, a beautiful wife, and an awesome church, all playing different roles at different times in different ways, Jesus conducted things <laughs> to bring healing to this experience. 
Um, the, the, the powerful thing he did was sort of uh, meet me in that pain and show me that he was enough, right? Enough for like, you know, yeah, my views are sin, right? Either he's paying for it himself in hell or Jesus paid for it on the cross. And I've, I just emotionally, I have nothing to add to that. You know what I mean? I couldn't hope for like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want the first and I couldn't hope for the second, more, for more than the second. Right? So Jesus meets me in this place and he brings hope and he brings healing and he uh, brings life to broken places. Now, let me tell you, I want to be really clear on this. This is not a stupid story of, I'm glad it happened because Jesus taught me things, right? I'm not glad it happened. And do you know what? Jesus isn't either. Jesus is outraged by evil, he's outraged by abuse, and um, yeah, the, 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 be, be careful, we're, we're always careful not to give like stupid tw uh, twee, like trite, do you use the word twee here? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, like trite, um, cheesy, superficial answers to the reality of pain and brokenness in people's lives. But while holding that, we also recognize that Jesus does bring healing. Bring healing to aspects of my life that I'd buried for 20 years and never thought I could allow into the light of day. And so just, did I, did I want to be healed? Well, at first, no. I wanted to bury it. But Jesus had other plans. And Jesus has done other things. And listen, what Jesus has done for the paralyzed man, what he's done for me, he absolutely is doing for you. That you can take your struggles to him. You can take your pain to him. You can take your temptations to him. Find that he is the living water and that he is, he is enough. And so I just encourage you again. I... If there's something on your heart, like say if I'm touching a nerve with someone here, don't don't leave this week without without sharing that with someone else here that you trust. <laughs> Allow these things into the light. Receive the invitation of Jesus that is beginning to bring healing to your life. Pursue the new life for you, the freedom for you that Jesus has has won. Okay, I'm done today. Bethesda is an arid ruin both in Maryland and Jerusalem, okay? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, there's no pools there anymore, but the grace of God still provides the healing that we need, and His grace never runs dry. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just enjoy Your Son. He's so surprising, so um, unorthodox and yet so compelling and so beautiful and so kind and the way that he, he deals with this man who in his pain and his struggle didn't believe that a new future was possible Jesus enters in and, and shows kindness and grace and then unmeasurable power to bring about new life and Lord we, we need the faith to believe that, that you'll do the same thing for us that you show us kindness and grace, and you still have immeasurable power to give us new life. Sometimes, Lord, you, you transform our circumstances. Sometimes, like in my story of abuse, that the circumstances don't change, but, but healing occurs. Lord, would we be a people who are 
eager to go deeper and deeper with Jesus. That we wouldn't settle for um, (laughs) a bus ticket to heaven. Some sort of fire insurance whereby eternity is taken care of. But we'd, we'd press now, Lord, into the wonders of relationship with Christ. And we pray it in his perfect name. Amen.